What's up, my friends? Blessed to be with you guys here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I hope you are standing strong in your faith today. Now, we're going to be looking at James chapter 2, and this is a passage where James is talking about faith and works, and it seems like he is implying that Christians are saved by works. So get out your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2, and let's dive into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Now, here on the podcast today, as we're looking at James chapter 2, we definitely get into a passage that can cause a lot of people to argue different ways or have different points of view. I've seen a lot of people who are very dogmatic, very legalistic, use this passage that we're going to be looking at in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, and we'll go through the whole rest of the chapter. And you'll see them use this passage, uh, sometimes even quite persuasively, that we are saved by good works. Matter of fact, I was sitting years ago with a gentleman who my wife had known the this man's wife, of course, before they got married, and they were in town. I forgot what what was about, and we were having a conversation one night, and I didn't know. I mean, he, yeah, they're Christian and they're missionaries, I guess, and I didn't really know a lot about his past. But as he began to talk to me, it was very clear that this man believed that you have to be baptized in order to be saved, and there was a bunch of other things. And of course, this passage was brought up and we had a very uh, cordial conversation, but of course he didn't agree where I was coming from and I didn't agree where he was coming from. Now, I didn't go to great lengths like I'm going to do on the podcast today to dive into the passage exegetically, but this is a very important passage that we have to make sure that we do not take out of context. Matter of fact, of course, we're never to take scripture out of context, but this is one of those passages where if you do not understand what Paul is saying, or excuse me, what James is saying, you're not going to understand the rest of the passage, um, or you're also going to um, use this passage you know, outside of the context, and you could start abusing other passages of Scripture and saying things that the Bible doesn't say. Or you can use this passage, because a lot of times what people do, and I'll touch on it in a minute, people use James chapter 2, and then they'll look at Galatians chapter 3, and it seems like Paul and James are contradicting each other. And so then that causes a whole uh, you know, separate issue there, and so I'll explain that a little bit. So if you have a Bible, let's just dive right in and, and see the first part, uh, verses 14 through 17, about the generosity of impartiality. Of course, if you've missed any previous podcasts, you can always go to stanceronministries.org or wherever you get your podcast. Check that one out because we were talking last episode about partiality and how a Christian, we are to live according to the law of liberty, meaning we're to love our neighbor. That is a central teaching of Jesus and is central to Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. And so when he said in verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. So we are not to show favoritism. We're not to expect mercy from other people and not give it. We're not, we're not to expect mercy from God and then not deliver it. And we see uh, in Zechariah chapter 7, and we see parabolically in some of Jesus' teachings how that is inconsistent when we look at Luke chapter 18. And you're seeing the whole message that, uh, you know, Jesus was conveying there about the true conversion of a sinner. It's about receiving mercy. And those who have been forgiven much 
uh, they forgive much in return. And, and so now James is going to be transitioning here as we see picking up in verse 14. He's going to give an example. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by or faith in itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So you see right off the bat, this can, can be taken out of context. And as I mentioned before, there are a lot of people who have certainly either to be, you know, different sects of Christianity or, you know, J-dubs will use this like Jehovah's Witness or uh, some aspects of Mormonism, uh, some very, you know, stringent, you know, legalistic denominations will take this passage, uh, what we just read and, and, and show that, see, in order for you to be saved, you have to be baptized, you have to take communion or whatever. And of course, if you talk to a Catholic about this passage, when they argue it, they're looking at meritorious uh, justification, not forensic justification. And that's when the sacraments and all these other stuff comes in. So let's understand this, this particular passage before we look extensively at verses 18 through 26, when we're going to be talking about the true evidence of what uh, faith looks like. Okay, We have to make sure that if we're understanding what faith is, we ha- we'll see the evidence of it. And that's exactly what James is talking about. So there's a huge uh, you know, misunderstanding uh, that people apply to James. And again, we have to be consistent with Scripture because we don't see the, the consistency of Scripture teaching that we're saved by good works. You see that we're saved for good works. You know, and, and that's important for us to understand. So when you're seeing here now what James is talking about, he's shifting from contrast to remember judgment in mercy in verses 8 through 13 to the distinction of active faith, okay, which is with works and dead faith, which is without works. So right off the bat, we have to understand what James is, is talking about by giving this example, because then he gets into this whole thing about faith with, with works or faith without works. So we have to understand, he is saying an active faith one that is genuinely in Christ is with works. And one that is a dead faith is because it has no works. And so, yeah, in, in, some, in some senses, you could say somebody can make a profession of faith, but have absolutely no fruit that supports that. There's no works, whatever. And, and quite honestly, and again, it's a case-by-case basis, but quite honestly, that could be an, an indication that somebody may have been sorrowful like King Saul but wasn't truly repentant of their sins. They may have acknowledged some of the truth in a spiritual way, but it was a dead faith from the beginning, and therefore there will be no works to, to complement that faith in Christ. So when he says, but does not have works, what James, what he's not teaching is that works are required for salvation. What he's saying by giving that comparison of active faith and dead faith, he's, he's talking about the virtues of salvation. That's exactly what he's talking about. And so, so once we understand that now, when we go here, when he's talking about a brother and sister are poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and he says, ah, go in peace, go be warmed, but they don't give them anything. Now, what he's not saying is every time someone has a need, you just give it to them. 
That's not what he's saying either. If you go back to James chapter two, verses two through four, James calls out partiality by reproving the church for exalting the rich while rejecting the poor. So again, he's, he's going back to that. There, there is a sign there of one's faith in Christ that is either exercising that love. If I've received mercy from the Lord, I will be extending mercy. If I'm asking Jesus to forgive me, I will be forgiving others. So when you see in verses 15 and 16 of James chapter 2, what he's doing is he's reintroducing here the poor. And he's using the poor to illustrate that generous works that is helping the poor are the result of true faith, not just mere sentiments, you know, wishing someone well. You know, there's a lot of Christians who are like that. You know, I'll, I'll be praying for you. Never pray for you. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll pray about it. I'll let you know. They never get back to you. In a sense, you guys, and again, in our, in our culture today, especially in America, we, we just say, oh, they're just busy. They just got a lot going on. And we do, and I think it's necessary, and I think it's important that we give people the benefit of the doubt. It's one of the things I've always tried to do in my ministry that God has given me is to give people the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes that could be difficult. Sometimes that could be difficult. But if I give people the benefit of the doubt and then it comes, it comes out that, you know, they, again, they weren't trying to be rude or they were actually praying about it. And yes, they got sidetracked or other things came up or maybe somebody died in their family, right? It's like, okay, good. You know, I, I just didn't assume the worst. They are actually praying about it and considering it and they just didn't want to make a decision hastily. They wanted to think it through. So now what happens though, when you have needs before you and you're like, oh man, poor guy, you know, I'm just really, I'm just really, really disappointed in this individual. Um, but you don't do anything about it. You don't follow through. You don't talk to this person. Or if you see somebody who's in need, you're like, man, that's a, such a bummer. That person is the way that they are, but you don't lift a finger. I mean, that, that, those are indicators, right? You guys, those are things that we have to be sensitive about. And that's what James is doing here. He's, he's pointing out this poor person and this wealthy person, you know, before, and now he's just saying, hey, if there's somebody in need and you reject them, that shows whether or not you truly care. So if you're a Christian who just is sentiment only without action, they're probably, they're, that's probably an indication that you have a lot of dead works. Because Christians, we don't just make a profession. We live it. We live it out. We don't just pray for the poor. We help the poor. We don't just say that, hey, we need to give more money. We give it. So it's not just talk. And that's what, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about in a salvific sense that in order to be saved, you have to do good works. And that's why in verse 7 here, or excuse me, 17, he says, so also faith by in and, in and of itself and it does not have works, is dead. So that word dead here, though, in the Greek is nekra. It means lifeless or useless. So James's conclusion is filled with condemnation. So again, as I was saying earlier, if Christians who profess faith in Christ, but they don't live out what they believe, then in essence, your faith is useless because what good is it? You know, it's like, the, it's to the point where people talk about coming to Christ because they're afraid of hell. And so it's just kind of like eternal life insurance. 
as long as they don't go to hell and they have that fear, but they could do everything else in the world, neglect the poor, not, you know, actively live out their faith, but just make a profession of faith. And then that's it. If they're parting, they're doing other things, then, then whatever. But as long as they have Jesus, as long as every time they're asked, hey, do you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord, say they absolutely. But you don't see works to follow that. That person's faith, in essence, is useless. That's exactly what he's saying. So now we show the generosity of impartiality. See, when you're not fixated on yourself or only giving to those who will give in return, but instead you, as a, as a true Christian with true faith, you extend yourself with generosity, that's impartial. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what he's talking about. Now let's look at verses 18 through 26. And this is now the, 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 sec, the section that we see that James is now going to get into a little bit more detail where a lot of people can use this particular passage and abuse it. Notice he says here, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown you foolish? That means you intellectually deficient person. That faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified, being proved to be right by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see the faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith, that's the Greek word pestis, alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All right, so let's unpack this. Right off the bat in verse 18, James, again, this is what he's done consistently, you guys. Again, keep keeping in context. Once more, James affirms the theological unity and necessity of faith and works. That's what he's doing here. If you go back to the previous chapter, he made a similar pronouncement. Remember in verse 22 of chapter one, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So in essence, really this passage is about doing the work of God, being a doer of what the word of God says, not doing it to be saved. So when this phrase here is, show me your faith apart from your works, James, what he's doing here is he's repudiating the notion. See, he's repudiating, repudiating the notion that works and faith can be separated. I mean, if you think about it with Christianity, works cannot be done apart from faith, but because of faith. And that's what James is saying. Nowhere is he saying your faith plus works equals salvation. He's saying faith plus works equals Christian living. That's what he's talking about. So we have to be careful how people insert salvifically what James is referring to and, and with faith and works. Now, verse 19, notice he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So the Jewish confession, remember, is what? The Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
That's a fundamental belief. But it doesn't necessarily lead to true faith and obedience. And that's what he's talking about. Do demons, does, does Satan himself believe that there's one God? Yes. That's what he's saying. They believe in the Shema. Now, they don't, like every Jewish person does every day, they don't recite it because they're not praying to God. But the demons believe in God, but they don't worship him. You see this in Mark chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, and Mark chapter 5 or 7. They know who Jesus is. They know he is God, but they don't worship him as God. So now what he does in verse 20 here, do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? So at this point of his case, remember in Greek, that word foolish means you are being intellectually deficient. And see, that's the problem. When people are, are intellectually deficient, especially when they take this passage out of context, it could do major damage. It could cause many people to believe something that runs contrary to the Bible. So at this point in making his case, what James does is he shifts to utilizing an ancient technique of argumentation known as the diatribe. So what he does and what this means, a diatribe, is he presents a series of hypothetical questions and then he proceeds to answer them by providing evidence of true faith. So this is a very common way of teaching a certain technique of argumentation by posing, putting up these hypothetical questions, just like he started off when he's referring to the poor person. What would you do? Do you, do you help the person or just say, hey, go in peace. I hope you're well. So do you have faith that when you see something in, you know, someone in need or when someone asks for forgiveness, when you are to be charitable, when you are to live out the Beatitudes, when you look at Romans chapter 12 and you're not to repay people evil, you're not to revile, do you, do you follow and obey the scriptures? Or do you think, oh, well, you know, I can get away with it and be kind of flippant about it? That's the, so what James continues to do is he's pointing this out to make his case, to make his point that true faith has works. And that's why now what he does is he is going to reference Abraham, who was our father, who was justified, who was made right by works. And this is where people can really take this passage out of context. Say, see, Abraham was justified, meaning Abraham became, he was saved because of the works that he did by presenting, in this case, his son on the altar before God. Now, what James is doing here, though, let's clarify. James is introducing Abraham as a scriptural example, okay? So if you go to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19, he's answering the question that was posed in verse 20 by using Abraham. Why? Okay, he uses this, this phrase, justified by works. What he's demonstrating in answering his hypothetical question by actually using a historical figure, Abraham. He's saying Abraham exercised authentic, authentic, authentic faith by demonstrating his love, his love for God by remaining obedient even to the point of offering up his son as a sacrifice. So Abraham's deeds, they didn't earn him salvation, but instead his deeds by being willing to trust God and sacrifice his son. By, by doing those deeds in obedience, it proved his faith was genuine. It was a test. Never did God plan on Abraham killing his son. Human sacrifice is not, not what God condones. It's not what God condones. It was a test. That's how he was justified 
by his works, by demonstrating obedience, that he truly wanted to live for God, not to, not to be saved. He was already in covenant before, with God. Go back to Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 17. So when he says here in verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and scripture was fulfilled. that says Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. So it seems that James now, what you're seeing what he's saying here, and then you go to Paul, it seems like they're contradicting each other. So you have Galatians chapter three and you have Romans chapter four. But if you take a closer look at the meaning of justification, how Paul and James utilize it, it's quite clear that they use the form of, of the word differently. So let me read to you Romans chapter four, verses one and two, because this is where people will show the contradiction and say, see, Christianity is not true. Or see, we have to, we're saved by works. Let's listen to what Paul says here in Romans 4, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So right off the bat, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what Paul is saying here and you see Abraham was justified by works. Again, a phrase that we see that James said he was justified by works in verse 21 of James chapter two. Okay, what did, what's the term mean? What does this term mean, justified? The term justified means to be declared in the right standing before God. So the reason that Paul starts, and here in Romans four and also in Galatians three, the reason Paul starts from justification that means the beginning of Abraham's salvation is because he is refuting the Judaizers who added works to salvation. So Paul references Abraham that way. James is referencing Abraham to the early church to, let, to remind them that you should be demonstrating good works just like Abraham did because he was in, in right step with God. So he's refuting Judaizers, Paul, in Romans 4, yet Paul argues that Abraham was justified by faith prior to circumcision in the law of Moses, remember? Because some people say, well, no, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. But Abraham wasn't. Now, James, on the other hand, is arguing against uh, a growing dissension that believed mere belief was sufficient for salvation. See, so he's attacking this false Christianity. Remember, if you go back to Galatians, it was about another gospel, a fake gospel, a deficient gospel. And here, James is telling the Christian church, the early Christian church, you guys stop living a deficient or dead faith. That is not how Christianity is to be lived. That's not how we live it out. So James is, is saying we are not to have a deficient faith, but we're, having, we're to have a efficient faith. So James is using Abraham's obedience to offer that when he offered up his son, he's showing them as an exhibition. He's showing, he's using him as an illustration of what true faith looks like in the sight of God. That, my friends, is absolute and total obedience. That's sacrifice. Remember, God sent his son. So he leads the way. And, and Abraham was, was demonstrating that. So Paul and James, they're, they're, they're not affirming that Abraham was saved by works. Therefore, they're not teaching a doctrine 
like Catholicism would say, or other cults would say. I'm not saying that Catholicism is a cult. I'm saying that other cults will use this particular passage to their advantage when they take it out of context. So in verse 24, now he's, uses, he's going to use another example in a minute with Rahab in the Old Testament. But before that, he says, you see that a person is justified. So that's the present tense instead of the eros in verse 21. He's saying, you see that a person is justified by works. The plural in Greek is erga and not by faith, which again is the Greek word pestis alone. So the term justified carries the idea of moral rightness here in this passage, not of salvation. So just by looking at the wording that James puts forth, it's very consistent with what we believe as Christians. He asked, he's dealing with a moral rightness. You see that a person is morally right by his works, meaning he is showing that he has true, genuine faith by how he lives. Because he says here, it's not by faith alone. So true, genuine faith, that is receiving and, ex- and accepting and living out the grace of God, it will produce good works. The expositor's Bible commentary of the New Testament writes, quote, in this summary, in this summary statement that James gives he assumes that a person is justified by faith by not but but not by faith alone it is by faith and by what he does taken by itself this declaration may seem blatantly contradictory to such pauline statements in ephesians 2 8 9 which says for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves it's a gift of god not of works least any man should boast commentary continues if both passages are studied in context however the seeming contradiction disappears. James has indicated that deeds complete faith. Thus, deeds are the evidence that saving faith is present in a person's life. It was combating a superficial faith that had no wholesome effect in the life of the professed believer. Paul, on the other hand, was combating legalism. The belief that one may earn saving merit before God by one's good deeds. Consequently, he insisted that salvation is not by works, but by faith alone. However, the following context in Ephesians 2 verse 10 reveals what Paul did not depreciate good works. He declared, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In Paul, therefore, as well as in James, good deeds are the product of genuine faith. Let me repeat that, you guys. So when you take what James is saying here in James chapter 2 and what Paul's saying in other letters that he wrote, particularly Galatians and Romans, what they're both saying in unison is that good deeds are the product of genuine faith. And both writers, the commentator concludes, faith that produces no good deeds is incapable of saving a person. End quote. So, A Christian who lives by genuine faith in Christ, receives his grace, will live out good works. But no matter what good works you do, separate from genuine faith in Christ, it will never save you. And that's what we have to understand as Christians. And then he brings, he brings up a prostitute who's justified by works. Now, if you looked at James's first scriptural example of true faith, he uses Abraham, patriarch of God, thinking that totally makes sense. God uses man, chose this man to, to move forth in the world, to start Israel one day, the nation of Israel. But here in verse 25, James doesn't just end with Abraham. He now presents a second scriptural example 
he brings up a, a prostitute from Je- Joshua chapter two, known her name is Rahab. Now, this was a simple person on the other end of the social and moral spectrum, right? I mean, talk about a completely opposite example. But he says she too was justified by works. See, Rahab, remember, she, what happened with her is she left that lifestyle. She left her, the pagan beliefs. She left prostitution because she put her faith in God. She heard of God, she said in Joshua 2. And she believed in the God of Israel. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The one commentator writes, the second Old Testament person cited as an example of genuine faith is Rahab, the prostitute. She too was considered righteous for what she did. Although her faith was like that of Abraham, she was unlike the patriarch in almost every other way. She was a pagan, a woman, a prostitute. Nevertheless, she chose to become identified with the people of Israel, a decision based on faith. Far from being dead or worthless, her faith moved her to risk her life to protect the the spies. As a result, she was declared righteous. James does not give approval to Rahab's former life. It is her living faith seen against the backdrop of her previous immorality that he commends, end quote. And that's why he says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So bottom line, James draws this section on faith and works to a, to a close by illustrating the human body. And this is something you guys, as we uh, end here on the podcast and close out chapter two, we have to understand that just like when we think of the body, without the spirit, the body is nothing. It's just a corpse. We have to understand what James is saying here. And this is so important. Faith without works is dead. So good deeds are not the principle that gives life, but the end result of faith in Jesus. I love what the NIV Jesus Bible commentary says. It says, loving deeds display outwardly the inward change that has occurred by grace through faith. So when you and I look at passages, and, and, and I encourage you guys, to look these up, Matthew 5, 16, Ephesians 2, verse 10, I read earlier, 2 Timothy 3, 17, Titus 2, 14, it says, who gave himself up for us, who redeemed us from all lawlessness and to purify himself, notice, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So my friends, I pray that you are zealous for good works, that the faith you have put in Christ is an act of faith. It's a faith that has works with it. Not a dead faith. Don't just be a Christian in sentiment, in word only, but be someone who stands up and acts. Hebrews 10 verse 24 tells us that we are to consider one another. We are to stir up love amongst amongst one another for good works. So I pray wherever God has called you to worship, whatever local church you're involved in or whatever small group you're involved in or with your family life or with Christian friends and community, Christ is the head. We are the body of Christ. We are different members. We are separate members, but we are one body, one faith, one baptism, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Just remember that your act of faith is to stir up love and good works to the people that God has blessed you. So thank you guys for taking time to listen to this podcast as we continue our study here in the book of James. If you have any prayer requests, I'd love 
to hear from you, you can send them in at info at standstrongministries.org. And also encourage you guys to check out my latest book, Challenging Conversations. You can see that on Amazon. And check out our website, articles and videos. You can click on my YouTube channel there, standstrongministries.org. So thank you guys once again for taking this time to just study the Word of God with me. I always look forward to the time to prepare for this, to put out God's content so you and I can continue to stand strong in the Word. I love you guys. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.